0: Welcome to the Marty Smith America Podcast, Volume 12. I cannot believe that we already have 11 in the books, and this one is very special. We have an awesome guest today, country music star Phil Vassar. He's written tons, tons of songs, and when you guys hear what songs he's written, you'll go, Oh, I love that song. Oh, I love that song. I know that song. That was her wedding song, Total Beast. And boy, can he tell a story. He has had a tremendous career, That has spanned decades. And when you hear him tell stories. About spending time with Kenny Chesney. And spending time with Tim McGraw. And writing songs for Blackhawk. And McGraw. And Alan Jackson. And all of these titans. And being actually interviewed by Johnny Cash. You're going to love it. It's fascinating. So we can't wait for you guys to hear. What Phil has to say. It was one of the pleasures of my life. To spend time with him. But before we get to Phil. I want to discuss my partner, Kalo rings, the functional wedding ring. I wear them myself. I have for years, and I wear them because their marketing director, Cody Wittick, realized I was a triathlete and saw that I had on a metal wedding band. So he hit me up, and I've worn their rings forever. And the reason are because I can live my life without even knowing I have on my wedding band. I like to wear my wedding band, but there were times when I was lifting weights or maybe I was cycling and I was I didn't want to wear my metal band, so I would take it off. I didn't want to do that. Now I don't ever take it off. And kalo rings are the reason why. Unlike that metal wedding band that drove me bananas, kalo rings are made from silicone. That allows you to keep your ring on in times when that metal ring had to go. They allow you to live your life comfortably and safely while still representing your commitment to your spouse and to your family. I'm not alone. Andy Dalton, Kirk Cousins, Jordy Nelson, Derek Carr, they all wear them. NBA stars Steph Curry, Isaiah Thomas, Harrison Barnes, those guys wear them. Bryce Harper, Mike Trout, Chris Bryant, all kinds of guys in Major League Baseball wear them. Jason Aldean and Sam Hunt, they both wear them when they're on stage performing their country music songs. Firefighters, police, military, carpenters, construction workers, men and women in the gym. I see them all the time when I'm in the gym. Olympians wear them. MMA fighters wear them. CrossFit, all of you guys that are crazed with CrossFit, they're perfect for that. 18 different styles and 50 different colors. There is going to be a ring that suits your style perfectly, and all you have to do is go to Kalo.com or retail stores nationwide. Academy Sports, Bass Pro, REI, Dicks, all of them carry Kalo rings. Go right down the street and you can get them. But the best way to get them is Kalo.com. And use the code MARTY, dot com, and use the code MARTY, you'll get 15% off. I love them, guys. And I've I kind of said this before, but when I say that they're functional, they're functional in a lot of ways. Laney and I live at the beach in the summer for months. We go to the beach. And Laney won't wear her diamonds to the beach, A, for fear of losing them, but B, she doesn't want to get them all gummed up with sunscreen and sand. So she'll put on her Kalo ring, and she doesn't even have to worry about that. She just washes it off in the water with no fear. They are perfect for active lifestyles like ours and like yours. QALO.com, code Marty for 15% off right now. And now, without further ado, here's the Marty Smith's America podcast with country music star Phil Vassar. As I kind of studied and prepared for this, did you play the Memorial Golf Tournament? Was that last year that that happened? Last year, it was last year. Okay, so I saw that uh, I saw that you had played a, a show there. You a golf guy?
1: Well, you know what, I used to be. I used to actually be a pretty good golfer, You know, of course, and you know, I was at JMU. All my buddies, all my fraternity brothers were big, huge golfers. Matter of fact, one of them was Mark Carnaval, and I don't know if you remember Mark. He's a yeah. He was a pro golfer, and he's got his own show on uh, um, Sirius or something, but he's, uh, but he's great. He was my fraternity brother, so we all played all the time, and uh, so I got really good. moved to Nashville and played a lot of golf, and then played more golf than Rhodes songs. so I had to kind of hang it up. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I ditched my clubs and said, you know what? I gave my clubs literally. I said, you know what? This is ridiculous. I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing, so I gave my clubs to this guy, and I didn't play golf for I don't know, 15 years, almost 14 years. So I'm kind of back playing again. So it's good. I, I mean, it's uh, it was it was the right decision at the time because I was obsessed with it, really. And there was no chance of me becoming a pro golfer unless I really, you know, you know how you could immerse yourself in that whole deal. So, but it was uh, it was time.
0: When you're at JMU and you're trying to figure out what you want to do with your life in those formative years, where we're really just starting to learn who we are as college kids. How did music become the path?
1: I'm still trying to figure that out. (laughs) I think, I think uh, you know, I just always, I mean, from the time I was a kid, I knew I wanted to be a singer. I knew it. That's all I ever wanted to do my whole life. And I think college was just sort of a detour. And I think I went because I, you know, could jump high and run fast. I ran track there. You know, so it was just like a, it was one of those things. I knew at some point I was going to go to New York or Nashville. Or LA, you know that was my one of my three picks. So Nashville won out, and uh, thank goodness it did. I love it. I still do.
0: I don't know what it is. I'm sure this probably is universal among states. But when people when people grow up in the same state or the same part of states, the same areas, there is this there's this feeling of fraternity. There's this fellowship that you feel. Right. For those of you guys listening, Phil and I kind of grew up in the same area. I grew up in more western Virginia than he did in central. But nonetheless, like, my first job out of college was the Lynchburg News in advance.
1: Isn't that crazy?
0: It's insane. So. Uh, for those of you who may not know, Phil's hometown. Phil's uh, was born in Lynchburg, Virginia. Uh, born and raised. Went to Brookville High School. One of my first assignments ever was covering the Brookville Bees.
1: It was only up from there. <laughs> yeah. It was only right. up. Now you're covering the Kentucky Derby and everything else all over the world. It's pretty cool.
0: But, but right. But to your point, even though you know you've done all these amazing things, so many number ones, so many amazing songs, not only for yourself but other artists. But I've learned. That Southwest Virginia is always part of me. It will, it oh, shaped yeah. my worldview then. It continues to shape my worldview now. It is my checks and balances system. <laughs> so I wonder for you, how does Central Virginia continue to shape your worldview despite all you've done?
1: Well, I mean, I, I don't think you ever, ever escape it, nor do you ever want to. You know, I think for me, it's just, it's where I, where I go. I go there. I mean, my mom's there, my sister's there, my friends are there. You know, so, so much for my family. And, and I go back every year, you know, I do my benefits there a couple of times a year from my, my girls' home. And, uh, you know, I love it. I mean, if I'm on the road, I love watching Virginia Tech football games or JMU football games or Virginia football games. I love all of it. It's just fun to, you know, because it, it's... It's who you are, and it's the place that molded you into the human being that you become. You know, and, and I think you know, no matter where you go, what you do, you're always going to have that, and, and that's a good thing. You know, and I love that about um, you know people all over the all over the country you meet, and, and you can usually tell. You know, it's like a you know the, the different regions of Northwest, uh, Northeast, uh, and um, you know everybody's proud of, of where they grew up and. I, as they should be. And I love it because as I travel the world and the, especially the States, it's so big and broad and, and uh, you know, there's a lot to be proud of for sure. Virginia
0: Tech football. Are you, so are you a Hokie or are you a Walker? <laughs> well, you know what? I've always been
1: a, I've always been a Hokie, you know, I, I honestly, between the two, I, I uh, you know, I love coach Beamer and, you know, Brian Steinspring's one of my dear friends. I still talk to Brian all the time. Is he
0: really? That's awesome.
1: Oh my God. Yeah. All those guys are, they're just great. And, and, um, you know, I I just – um it's just something I always loved about that, the, the philosophy of that team. It was just always that, you know, take that lunch pail kind of thing, that work ethic, yeah, you know. And I just love that. There's nothing slick about it, man. It's just go and beat your brains out. I love it. And and I always wish Tech well, for sure, you know. You know, so it's always – it's always fun to watch them. They're getting good, too, man. It's really, really fun to see them. It's kind of a – you know, it's a different – it's a different uh, mentality than when, uh, you know, Coach Beamer was there, too. It's really uh, – fun to watch, you know, them evolve, and uh, I think Coach Beaver might be one of the finest men I ever met, for sure.
0: You've performed with all manner of legendary artists. Which one wowed you
1: the most? Man, it's so hard to say. I mean, I have been in the presence of some of the biggest ever, you know. I really, really have. You know, George Jones and, you know, Willie Nelson I've toured with, and golly, I mean, Merle Haggard, I've done lots of shows with him, you know, over the years. Those guys, they're the ones that always you know, always going to be my favorites, you know, Conway Twitty. And, you know, they, you know, this is way back old school country. You know, I was just a kid, you know, and coming out there and they were always so cool to guys like me. And, uh, you know, some of the advice I got as a songwriter and, and, uh, you know, from, from all kinds of artists, you know. I mean, Hugh Lewis and I mean, all kinds of genres. Kenny, Kenny Rogers would sit there when I toured with him when I first came out. And he'd watch my show and we'd sit, sit around for hours and he'd talk about music and, you know. But talking to Buck Owens and guys like Merle Haggard and that, that, that was the days, man. I mean, when they would talk about, we're sitting there, let me tell you, on their bus for hours and talking about stories was some of the finest times I'll ever remember.
0: What's the best advice you ever received as a writer?
1: You know what, I think just to be, to be persistent you know, and I think uh, Conway Twitty said that one time, and uh, Harold Jenkins was his real name, which is kind of funny, you know, but it was, <laughs> it, it was funny. Conway Twitty was like his, uh, you know, his persona, you know, and it was really kind of funny. He said, the Conway, he would like, he likes, Conway likes a song that talks about to the women. You know, he just talk like that, and <laughs> and uh, it was just Almost surreal, right? You know, because he's sitting there talking third person to this, about this character almost. But anyway, he, he would always say, he said, listen, you know, he said, um, you know, always get your songs to, you he said, I'll never forget this one time. There was this one song called Kentucky Rabbit by this one young writer named Mr. Eddie Rabbit. He said, and I didn't listen to it. I'll never forget it. And then the Elvis cut. It. <laughs> so it was kind of one of those stories, you know, I always listen to the songs, and they did, you know, because back then, really, those guys really didn't write songs. They they were, uh, the the industry was separate. There was a the songwriter, there was the producer, there was the artist, there was the label. You know, now it's like, you know, I write, you know, we are, you know, we produce our records, we write our records, we do all these things, you know, it's different, and things have definitely changed, but it was wonderful to kind of get those, I mean, seriously, I mean, you walk in a room and Johnny Cash is sitting there and asking questions, I was definitely in awe.
0: How do you respond to that when Johnny Cash is asking you? I was talking. We had David Lee Murphy on a couple of weeks ago. David's awesome, man. David's he's a wonderful the man. guy. Ah, it was awesome to interview him. And he's
1: learn. a great, great guy, man. And and uh, God, I've known David a hundred years, written songs with him, and I mean, he's just a great guy.
0: He was telling stories about like eating. How Waylon Jennings, he would go to Waylon's house and. There was this taco salad that Waylon's wife made, and every time that he went to Waylon's house, Waylon would be like, "Hey, can you make him that taco salad?" Like it was hilarious, right? Yeah. But but, but that's Waylon Jennings. How do you respond when Johnny Cash is inquisitive about your life?
1: You know what? It's really um, I, I just found those guys to be you know so so different, even than artist to, to today. You know, it's a it's a it's a completely different deal. I mean, it's like back then and you know, uh, I remember sitting there and, and Merle would say, you know, back in the day, we would sit, we'd all tour together It's it'd be me and Cash and, and Willie and and Conway and Loretta. He said, we'd all be playing cards backstage, right? We'd be playing cards and then they'd go, hey, Loretta, you're up. So Loretta would get up and Conway would sit down and take her place and we'd just sit there. That's what we would do. I mean, can you imagine? You know, and then uh, it was like, he said, no, we would hang out all the time. He said, artists now don't even get off their bus and talk to you. and And it, and it is different. It's kind of it's a try. What happened? You know, I, I don't know. I don't know what happened, but there's a lot of artists that don't. They just don't care. It's a whole different deal. And, and uh, times have just changed, you know, but I, I found them to be, you know, even when I met like Robert Redford or Paul Newman, those guys, I mean, I've done events with both of them and they would uh, just talk to you, sit there and just talk. And it was like, you, you know, they were just, I mean, I'm sitting there, the guys, too. You're sitting there going, this is Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, right? So you're going, this is bizarre. So, you know, you're just sitting there, they're talking, but they were genuinely engaging with you they would engage They wouldn't just hey yeah what's up and you know there's glaze over and look who's behind you or something it's never like that it was like they were you felt like you were the most important person in the room for all those guys that you mentioned like what waylon and william and you know cash and all those guys they just i mean merle was he, he you know we we would talk for literally three or four hours and, and on the bus and just hang out and you know it's oh, I got to go oh to showtime and It was just um, you know that's different when nobody really does that much anymore.
0: I don't know if you remember specifically, but what did he talk to Merle Haggard about?
1: Like, talk about, oh my like God. being in prison, like songs. Like, no, everything. I mean, I mean, just the world. I mean, he loved to talk about music. He loved to talk about songs. He loved to talk about publishing and and how he you know would write. I mean, of course, Merle Haggard was my very first concert at King's Dominion. You know, that was my first concert. King's
0: Dominion near Washington D.C., Rich-
1: like up above In Richmond? Richmond, near Richmond. Yeah, no there.
0: way, man! We used to go there as kids. That's crazy. <laughs> I know.
1: We, that you saw Merle Haggard concert. at
0: the King's Dominion? Oh, absolutely! Yeah, that he is was there awesome. And
1: and, and Roanoke Civic Center, of course. That was where we would always go see the bigger concerts. That's where I would go. You know, see everybody. You know, and I saw Boston or Van Halen or Billy Joel or whoever it was. Alabama, you know. So it was just uh, it was just a lot of fun just to, you know, just to do that. And the, but Merle, you know, of course, I you know, I told him, I said, you know, that that was the first concert and he would talk about that time and and uh, writing songs because I was the thing that intrigued me about him was he was a singer songwriter and he was one of the great ones like Hank Williams was, you know, like those guys, you know, he was I mean, holy smoke, the guy wrote all these songs and not just, you know, about everything about prison or about, you know, your mama tried or. You know the cities and and you know growing up in, in Oklahoma and and uh, I, I just thought that I mean I was just absolutely enthralled you know and and um, I don't know man I just I just uh, I was really really sort of uh, almost numb just sitting there you know sure. where you're just sure. going where you're going is this really for real you know and you know and uh, you no know, Dolly and and all those guys are the same same way you know they're just absolutely you know. You know, engaging, and uh, you know, I think I, I think I love that. I miss that about some of the, you know, some of the newer ones. Like you really just can't get to know anybody anymore. You know.
0: How'd you refer to Conway? Conway or
1: Harold? (laughs) Sir. Sir. (laughs) (laughs) I would call him. I would call him Sir. Yes, Sir. You know, Mr. Twitty or whatever. And he, he just, you know, he would just. I tell you, man, he was. I mean, you just understood why the... He would tell me the funniest stories, too, too, man, about... You know, he did, hello, darling. You know, he... And that's how he would come out and do his a show, right? He said... And, and one of the funniest things, he said, always know your audience. Always know who you're playing for. Always. And he that was some of his advice for me, you know. And he said, you know, because every show is going to be different. And that was really great advice because he said... He said I would always walk out and I'd go hello darling and and the, and the women would just go crazy he said they would just light it up and from then on it was just you know whatever and, and and he said when he said one night I walked out he said and I walked out and we were doing a private show and it was uh, he said I walked out I went hello darling he said crickets nothing happened he said it was all men and it was for a plumbing convention or something and I thought and I was rolling. He said it was all men. He said, so familiar so, so audience. <laughs> I said, so never do Hello, Darling for a bunch of plumbers. He goes, that's right.
0: So he started so, singing That's My Job. He just quit Hello, Darling right there that's and just started right. singing That's right My that, Job that's my right there. Job,
1: and it teared up everybody. I mean, it I was just great. I mean, what a what – a, uh, I just love that guy. What an amazing man.
0: I've always wondered this, and I've asked my friends this who are in the industry and, and have done well in the format. As a writer – how do you use those artistic influences that you've engaged with uh, throughout your career and you know help that help that mold you as a writer without sounding like those influences what's that challenge
1: well i think you know i think you're right i think you i think we are all sponges you know i think we're all sort of you know we're, we're we i mean i've listened to everybody from the beatles to you know metallica to you know and to to alabama to george Straighter. I mean, we all are like that, and I think even the kids today are like that. It's like you're not just country, or you're not just rock, or just rap. I mean, everybody kind of listens to everybody, and I think you're sort of a you know a mold or meld of all these things together. And uh, you know, of course, I'm a piano player too, so I sit at a piano, and and uh, I'm always influenced by the Billy Joel's and the Elton Johns and Bruce Hornsby and guys like that. And And, uh, you know, or Ray Charles and Stevie Wonder. And, and, you know, I think when I write on guitar, it's always a little bit different. But, you know, I just think you just try to take, you know, your own life experiences. And I think that's how you differentiate yourself or find your point of difference. I think that's what you do because it's, you know, you definitely don't want to be so much of the stuff to me <laughs> sounds alike right now. I don't know why. I think it's a whole, because you know, everybody's in a truck. That's why. Everybody's in a truck drinking a beer and with a girl and a cricket or something. I mean, whatever the heck it is. But it's like, it just seems like that's kind of the formula and people kind of get hung up on it. And, uh, you know, instead of, and I think you can kind of tell, it's like, sometimes I always wonder if, you know, some of the songs that are out that are big today are ever going to be, you know, the... Songs like we grew up with, like you said that's my job i haven't heard of that's my job or or hello darling in a long time you know, and so that's just the thing you know maybe it's just um' uh, you know we all you know have our favorites and we're all going to go back to maybe what we are comfortable with or grew up on or something like that, but you know who knows if there'll ever be anything like that again
0: well one of my one of my best friends in the world has this great analogy for what you're saying about where <clears throat> the format is, right? There are bottle rockets, right? That fire up in the air to the top of the charts. They run songs up the charts and down the charts. And then there are copyrights. Okay. There are forever songs. And maybe those songs aren't, don't go to number one. Hell, maybe they don't get to 20, but in 20 years, we're still going to be singing them. And a lot of that from my interpretation and me as a fan comes from those who write albums and those who write singles. Okay, Right. Right. Like, it's a very interesting and that's different that's not the same thing You're there's exactly a collaboration right. of singles and then there's an album that tells a story
1: right it's interesting. Well, it's, which which a lot of people you know the, the attention span has shrunk so much of the average listener that you of course record labels don't even care about albums anymore they really don't you know and uh, they just want they want singles they want it's uh it's basically a commercial and it's a uh, um for the artist and for touring for it's a whole different world. It's different than when I started, for sure. You know, different. It's a different business than it was even ten years ago, or, or five years ago, even. You know, it's just changed so much. But, but it is different that way. You know, they, there are artists that, you know, like, Piano Man was never a hit. I mean, neither was neither was Margaritaville. It was never. But a they, hit. Are Phil. never they are
0: copyrights. They're
1: never a forever hit ever song. Right. exactly right. I mean, and there are songs like like that that you'll just go, Wow, that was you know this or. I always think about even songs like, um, you know, my tractor is sexy or yep. I mean, it was a big hit, but it was never a it wasn't a number one song. But that song launched Kenny's career. I was in the middle of touring with Kenny, that that happened. It blew it up.
0: What was that, you know, that like? Uh, what, what was that like when you see that when you yourself see the transition happen right in front of you? What is that? <laughs> and what was it like to be well, when you're on a road with him, seeing it happen?
1: Well, it was staggering, you know. We went from playing 2,500 seats venues to 25,000 seat venues within the, within eight months or six months, and it was it was pretty crazy, you know. And and uh, it was exciting and all that stuff. It's like you just can't ever tell, you know what what that song's going to be or that moment. It's because if you know you can't really bottle that, you know. It says if you could, would be everybody would do the same thing. So it was just that moment when a lot of things changed, and I think. You know, it's hard to believe that songs like like Piano Manhood too, which we, you know, every bar, every piano player in the whole world sings it. And probably, I don't even think it made top 40. It might have barely, if it ever did. You know, Margaritaville too. I know for a fact. So it's like that song built an empire, you know, and, and built a whole brand and built a whole lifestyle right you know and um so it's pretty cool when that happens but like you say that's the difference between a single everybody go. that was the number one song it's like a one-hit wonder kind of thing and then a and then a career you know a, a body of work
0: you noted a minute ago being a piano driven artist and it's wonderful it's one thing that really drew me to your work and you noted Hornsby and Billy Joel I'm a big Mark Cohn guy like I just love oh, I love oh, those awesome. I love when the piano just punches you in the chin but why mm-hmm. don't we hear more of that like where did there's only a few of you guys who take that approach. Why? Is it? Why? Yeah, man.
1: That's
0: what I'm talking about.
1: Oh, sorry. I was just... Uh, is that like right we'll in walk. front of
0: you? You're just playing that?
1: That's amazing. We're we'll walking in Memphis for you. Um, oh, I love you know, that song. I don't know. I mean, when you heard... When I first heard Every Little Kiss, or when I first heard Walking in Memphis, I mean, just, I, I, mean I literally stopped my car and I was like, what is that? It's you a train
0: stopper, right?
1: It is. It really is. And it still is. And you talk about another song that's a copyright. You know, and, and, you know, you hope, you know, you always try to, if you can write one or two of those in your career, you're lucky, you know. But it's, um, I just don't know. I don't, I think, um, you know, piano players, as a matter of fact, when I was coming up, you know, even my label, every label, like, look, man, nobody plays piano. We need you to play guitar and put on a hat. That was what everybody kept telling me. It's like, you know, you know, in Nashville, we don't have piano players. We have guitar players. So that's what you're going to have to do. I'm like, you know what? That's not what I do. So that's when Tim and Kenny and, all these guys, Joe D, and everybody, you know, everybody started. Alan Jackson, they were like, well, I like your songs. I'll just, and I'm like, for a long time, I just held on to them. And I said, well, I guess I'll just, <laughs> I'll just let you guys have them because apparently nobody's going to let me cut them. And then they were all become, they became huge hits for all my buddies. And then all of a sudden they were like, hey, man, you should do a record. <laughs> so anyway, that's kind of what happened. And, you know, I don't know. I don't know if it's just a, you know, the piano, a lot of times people think of it as they, uh, you know, as a sort of an elite instrument or more of an uplifty kind of thing. I don't know if it is. Well, I don't have any idea, you know, but I mean, I'm sure they're like, piano players don't do very well. And I'm like, well, Ronnie Melstep's had a great career. And Jerry Lee Lewis and Elton John and Billy Joel. You ever heard of those guys? They Rock did all right for themselves. Yeah. You know, anyway, the list went on and on. of course, finally, you know, Arista was like, I think, I think you should do a record. And then uh, that was it, you know, so it was really, really, really cool.
0: I am the hugest 90s country fan ever. It's, you know, despite being the the highwaymen, that that foursome, that quartet are my greatest heroes ever, but my favorite era is the 90s. And Mm -hmm. a lot of my listeners share that. So I just want, I want you guys to understand this. I just want to run this down. Y'all, Phil wrote for a little while in my next 30 years, Tim McGraw. He wrote I'm Alright, Joe D. Messina. He wrote Little Red Rodeo, Colin Ray. He wrote Postmark Birmingham. <laughs> Blackhawk. Man, I love Blackhawk was one of the most underrated.
1: Oh my god. God we- those dudes were badass, man. Well they still are, <laughs> they bro. Wrote they still that are. Deal. I mean. We- <laughs> they still are. They um they actually uh I mean we did some shows together this past year, three or four shows, and it was I mean, they're great. I mean Henry still sings great and Dave, I mean, those guys are <laughs> Fantastic, you know. I mean, I was on the side of the stage because that those records really. They, of course, we were on the same label too at Arista and uh, with Alan. It was me and Alan Jackson and Black Hawk and and Paisley and and uh, Radney Foster and some of those guys. It was Diamond Rio and, and Pam Tillis and it was just a fun, fun time. And that was when all that kind of happened. And and you know, of course, they were recording my songs. Everybody at that point was <clears throat> you know recording my music, which was which was really great. And having big hits with it, you know, and, and Bye Bye and all that stuff came out and Little Red Rodeo. And uh, it was it changed my life, you know.
0: Are those like how how accurate are those to your life story? Uh, are are all, are all of those autobiographical?
1: No. Every one of them. Oh, Every they one are. Of them. Every single one of them, you know, wow. it's like, I, you know, I think even, you know, I've written songs about everything, even, uh, you know, transgenders and i mean all the kind of just fun stuff that you know my buddy was a cross dresser and i wrote a song about it people were like that where did you make that up i said it's true <laughs> you know when people go i'm like i'm not that smart i'm not that good i could never come up with that myself how long that's did it take to
0: write like postmark birmingham
1: you know don Sampson and i wrote that don's another virginia guy he's a great songwriter and um <clears throat> He and I got together, and and uh, one afternoon, and we were talking about this envelope. He said, "Man, I got this letter, and it didn't say anything, and it was just postmarked Birmingham." I said, "Hmm, that's an interesting title. You know, what would that be about?" And this and that, and then it was that just came up, and um, you know, you just <laughs> you never know where where a song's going to come from, a title, or just an idea, or somebody says something in passing, or some girl dumps you, or you know, makes out with you, one of the two, you're going to write about it, you know. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Just Another Day in Paradise uh, is number mm-hmm. one on the charts, right? And then oh, yeah. the very next week, my next 30 years, is number one on the charts. Yeah. So you're just on fire. Like, what's that time in your life like?
1: You know, it, it's funny because it was almost a blur, Marty. You know, it was like, it was one of those things where, you know, you're having your own songs, knock your own songs out of number one. And a lot of writers have had that happen, I'm sure. But it's just when you're when you're the artist and – And I was on, as a matter of fact, I was on tour with Tim at that time, which was kind of fun with Tim and Faith. You know, I went out and did that first Soul to Soul tour. And and he's like, man, you need to cut. He said, you need to put that next 30 years on one of your records because I don't think it's going to be a single (laughs) for us. I'm like, all right, well, that's fine. And then, of course, it was a huge single for Tim. And I think, um, anyway, it was just one of those uh, happy accidents, I can say. But it was uh, right about that time, Paradise was out, and and it was... um, and Carleen, all all this stuff kind of happened all at one time, and it was just a blur. You know, I was having, you know, my daughter was young, and you know, you're you're two two hundred shows a year plus, you know, and then you're traveling and you're trying to be a dad and you're trying to be a, a husband, which I guess apparently I wasn't very good because I was not married that long. But anyway, um, no, it was. It all happened, you know you know it was just kind of a blur of a time, you know, and you as uh, after the dust settles, you know when I'm sitting here sometimes I just kind of go, wow that was a that was a pretty interesting time in my life
0: what's the balance between dad and the stage
1: <sighs> it's hard it's a you know i mean my my favorite thing in the whole world is being dad that. that's my favorite that's just my favorite. I love it more than anything, and I've got two daughters that are just incredible and so last night we were together, we went to my daughter's dance recital. She's 14 and she's ridiculously good. And my 19 year old is with me and she's in New York city now. So she's up there and it's just, uh, I don't know, man. It's just something about that feeling when I'm sitting there with those girls, it's just that, it, you know, there's nothing, everything's right with the world. And, and, um, you know, it's just, uh, it's hard. It's hard, you know, to deserve, I mean, I know a lot of your listeners too probably travel or <laughs> they're listening to you on the radio or whatever, man. And it's just, uh, you know, and you do, I mean, you're all, all over the place, right? So it's hard to it's hard to balance your home life, your family life, and those kids. You can't love them any anymore. You love them more than anything. But and and uh, I've always looked at you know my my kids have really got to live a pretty good life because of, <laughs> because of my travels and uh, even though I've missed a lot of stuff, I think they that's understand.
0: How, that's exactly how I justify it. It's yeah. the most difficult, most important job in the world, and mm-hmm. being present is so important. But at the same time, man, I, we got dreams to chase. And I think exactly. there's something uh, subconsciously inspirational to them about that.
1: Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. Because you want them to do the same thing, you know. And, and that's when I talked to my daughter. She's like, Dad, I think I want to go to New York. and She's a songwriter, and she's in college. And she's, you know, we're actually doing a – we're singing together during CMA Week next week. It's just, it's just exciting, you know. It's on a couple of tv things and and so you want them to chase their dreams you want them to do their thing and and it's i think just for them to see you chasing yours is definitely you know my you know my dad works hard he works hard he's gone a lot but he loves me more than anything and i think they know that
0: how do you advise her if she's trying to chase the
1: same dream dad chased and called oh my god it's hard you know it's hard to see that i said you know you know that's why I make, try to make sure I said, look, your education is the most important thing you can you can have in your life, and so I try to keep them focused on that. You know, focused on their school and, and all that. But it's just you know, my, my advice to her is just to you know not. It's like you know you've when I was trying to write songs like everybody else was writing, and and uh, and I wasn't as good at it as you know some of my friends. You know, as David Lee or some of these guys are writing certain kinds of songs, or, or Craig Wiseman or some of these big huge songwriters in Nashville. I was like, you know, until I started writing songs, some of these fast lyric and, and and different kinds of songs I I I didn't achieve success. And that's, that was for a big lesson for me. It's like, look, you have got to be your own person and do what makes you happy. And you can't try to chase somebody else and chase somebody else's style, be who you are. And it might take you time to figure that out and who that is and who you are and all that. But once you figure it out, then succeed or not, you've you have succeeded you know you figured it out so it's hard to music business is so hard because everybody wants to be it's funny marty because everybody will be like man this guy sounds just like george Strait. I'm like you know what there's already been a george Strait. how about if we find somebody that sounds just like them you know or this or that and and the Nashville's a bunch of followers bunch of it man they want everybody to sound like luke or albine or whoever the hottest person is and that's why there's no point of difference and everybody sounds the same. So it's, that's why – so you talk about the highwaymen. how different were those guys, every oh, one of them, all so different and all so amazing at the same time. So that's that was a different way of thinking, you know. They were just different.
0: You've already given me too much time, but I'm going to steal just a couple more minutes.
1: Oh, I love um, it, man. This is fun talking to you. I love it. It's like I'm sitting at the coffee shop hanging out with my buddy. I like yeah. this, Marty. It's good.
0: It's, uh, it fills up my tank, man. I, you know, I ask – I've had a couple of artists on uh, on here and I, I'm always fascinated by your description of the climb because people see people see what they see they see the success they don't know the struggle they don't know being told hey man you're no good you should just pack up your and head on back <laughs> well I heard that a lot <laughs> I, I believe it describe the climb for me
1: well you know it is that there was a lot of that you know and especially You know, when I came from, you know, down Interstate 81 to Nashville, I had a, I had 300 bucks, seriously, I had $300, I think, to my name. Maybe been four, I don't know. And a Pinto with a hole in the floorboard, you could see the interstate going down and it was October, right? And it was Halloween weekend. And then I remember getting here and I didn't have anywhere to go. I stayed at a Motel 6 for about three or four days until I could find an apartment, right? Uh, It was, it was furnished. I got it for 300 bucks a month. (laughs) I don't even know how they even... It was three hundred dollars for a furnace apartment a month, and it was it was it was invigorating and it was exhilarating. All these things, I was scared. <laughs> less. I was scared out of my mind. All these things, right? So, so all this fear and and you know and and um, but but to go along with it, I had all this you know this. This hope and, this, uh, and all this stuff, you know, good to go along with it. And then I got there, I got a bartending job, and, and then I uh, finally talked this guy into letting me, you know, after about a year, year and a half of saving my money and doing all this stuff, I bought this little piano. And as a matter of fact, one of my buddies used to run this place called Starwood Amphitheater, and they were storing one of Hank Jr.'s pianos over there, this electric piano, and they had one of his and Larry Gatlin's. And um, anyway, they, were, they were, ended up selling them. I got them for two hundred fifty bucks a piece. <laughs> so I had these you little pianos, Hank man. Williams and Hank Junior's piano for $250. Absolutely, man. They had he was storing it out there, and it was Hank Junior's. So so I bought it for two hundred fifty bucks cash. And then uh, and Larry Gatlin oh. had another one out there. They were keeping them for. Me. They were these CP seventies. And if anybody knows anything about pianos, knows they they weigh about five hundred pounds. And good thing I was working out at the time because you had to put them together. And, and then I had these little speakers and I had a truck and I would go to these different little bars and play music, you know, and play Elton John or Billy Joel or my own original songs or Margaritaville or Brown Eyed Girl, all the classics, you know, <laughs> make everybody drink. And, and I did it for years until I saved all my money and I bought my own restaurant, my own nightclub. And I did that still. And then um, about that time, I started really writing better, better songs, you know, my songs kept getting better and better. And then, uh, you know, I had my own bar for about five years. And about that time, you know, Jody or Alan or Tim, all these people would come in or, or would come into my little bar and sing with me, Colin Ray, you know, and, and uh, it was kind of a cool thing. And finally, they were cutting my songs. And I was having all these huge hits all of a sudden. So I got a record deal. And then I sold my place and it closed like six months later. So it was just a thing. It was a space it was a place in time at that at that moment. It was kind of the hottest little place in, in Nashville to go to and, and uh, all my songwriter buddies would come and sing and play and you never knew who was gonna stop in and, and uh it was a lot of fun. And then Carlene came out and I literally played my last weekend at my club and went straight out to Seattle and met up with Tim and Faith and so 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 it was wow. bizarre. It was a weird time, man, weird time, but over that from the beginning to that first number one i think it was about 12 years
0: so i can't wait to see this show that you're going to have on pbs all right yeah let me tell you all what the american dream is the american dream (laughs) is to invite people to your home take them down to your wine cellar pour a nice glass and learn their life story (laughs) ladies and gentlemen that's phil vassar's (laughs) life at this point how did this come
1: to be I have no idea, and it's just—it's just hilarious, man. Yeah, I'm gonna have to get you in my cellar now. Years, that's this what we're gonna have to do—is sit and talk. Cause this love is love uh, be honored. We could—we could have some fun, you know. And, and you know, a lot of the, you know, David Price lives across the street from me. Cutler lives across the street from me. There's a lot of athletes here, you know. And of course, that you know, all these Vanderbilt guys and all the Titans—it's fun and you know, talking to some of the. Of course, meeting Peyton and all these guys over the years, it's a lot of fun to kind of, you know, I've always wanted to get Athletes Incorporated. As a matter of fact, Mike Tyson did my show, which was a lot of fun. What's and, it like um, to interview Mike Tyson? Man, I had a blast. I tell you what, he was a cool, cool, cool guy. And, uh, you know, you got to imagine the life he's lived. I mean, can you imagine being 18, 19 years old and being a world champion? And, no. I mean, all the stuff that's going on in your I mean, holy smokes.
0: There's almost no yeah. way possible to manage that. Literally, no way. I no mean, way. Especially with his upbringing. Everybody knows anything about how Mike came
1: up.
2: I oh,
0: mean, my gosh.
1: I'll tell you, he was actually one of the most incredible guys I've ever met. You know, he was cool. he really was moving in a way because just to see what he's done and clawed his way out of the ashes and just says a lot about him as a human being and, you know, whatever happened, you know, all this stuff. I mean, it's just a, he's put everything behind him and he's just moving forward. And I think that's kind of a cool, cool you know, that's that's the American dream too, you know, and, and time, guys man. like him, I mean Carrot Top did my show and of course John Rich and Tommy Shaw from Sticks, Peter Frampton. I've had all these great, great artists and, and um you know, and songwriters that have you know, that are in the Hall of Fame, you know, some of the biggest songwriters ever in the world, you know, and, and so I think it's kind of a fun, fun deal to be able to bring people down to your cellar and we're actually gonna do a lot more location stuff out in Sonoma and Napa and actually Virginia too, you know, and some of the you know, Virginia's become a really big wine hub (laughs) the industry's growing so much there so it's um it's going to be a lot of fun i mean i can't i don't don't know what i'm missing i mean if we're gonna have you know i've got a i've got a little wine little music and i don't know i'm going to put a pole down there i can dance on or something i don't know (laughs) then we'll then it'll be it'll be complete i don't know
0: all right last thing and i'll let you get out of here and you might need to think about this a minute these are not the same thing
1: i want to know the
0: i want to know the best song you believe you've ever written and the most (laughs) important song you believe you've ever written wow
1: you know i don't know if any of my songs are important um for sure music's
0: important period you
1: know i think that um it's always hard to to say what your best song is you know some of my you know um sound of a million dreams is a cool song um you know that was a neat deal and then you know the most important song i i think you know at the time for me american child was very important you know because it was uh you know, I had two daughters, right, or my daughter at the time. And, yeah. and this was around, right around nine eleven. all this stuff happened. We just played the towers. I'd just done a big show at the foot of the towers about two weeks before, you know, and really? all this stuff went down. Yeah, you know, we used to have W, you know, Y&Y in New York used to have big, huge concerts out in the plaza there between the towers every Friday afternoon. And we would all play there. And it was so much fun. Huge, you know, having all this country music rock in the middle of the city, you know. And, and then uh, that whole thing went down and, and then... Uh, I remember just sitting there thinking about, you know, <clears throat> the oppression, especially of these, the women, of course, having daughters. I kept thinking, you know, I, I need to write something about that. And then American Child was just one of those songs. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's the best song I've ever written or not, it was, it was funny just sitting there because, um, as a matter of fact, at the dance competition last night, the director of that video was there. And Haley, my daughter, is in the video. She was three at the time, and she's 19 now. And then uh, so she, <laughs> I said, Sean, this is, this is Haley. Do you remember that video you directed for me? This is her. And he's like, oh my gosh, this Walking is so through weird. That you
0: know, right? I know, yeah
1: and, she's, yeah. and she's this beautiful 19 year old and, you know, singing in New York City. And it's just bizarre. It's like the whole, you know, chain of events is pretty, pretty, uh, pretty interesting to me. But I love that song. And, and I always love doing it. You know, I really do. As a matter of fact, I'm singing that. One of my buddies Go is ahead. becoming a federal judge today. And no way. Uh, he's becoming a federal judge. And I'm going to, he wanted me to sing that in the courtroom today during the, his investiture and not pretty cool. Like uh, at the, at the ceremony, isn't that cool? Yeah, it's very cool.
0: That's amazing.
1: I know. So it's uh, that song's had a lot of lives and uh, I love doing it.
0: Well, that should tell you right there. It's impact. I mean, that is the consummate example of its impact. I am going to be named. I guess the term is named. I don't know whatever they call it when someone is given judgeship. Uh, yeah,
1: exactly. Vestiture hey is what it's called. Yeah,
0: Vestiture. Okay. I want you to play that song during my greatest moment professionally. That should tell you.
1: So <laughs> i tell you what, I, man. Absolutely. I can't,
0: I can't let you get out of here now. The journalist in me is so inquisitive. What, what? was it? How did 9-11 affect you then since you were just there right before it happened?
1: Well, it was surreal for us. You know, we, we had all this video that we'd shot on. So they, you know, of course, we were on top of the towers and, you know, doing, going all around. We had guys taking us up. And, and uh, you know, of course, you know, some of those guys are no longer with us because of that whole deal. And, and uh, But it was just a uh, it was a crazy time. You know, it really, really was. And it was just a, um, it was, you know, as an American as a as a songwriter, as a as a whatever, as a anybody, as a plumber, as a fireman, or whatever. It was just one of those times where you just you know the whole world did change that day. You know, and Alan Jackson wrote a great great song too. You know, and and um, about that whole deal. And um, I think there were some really good country songs that came out of that. You know, and uh, that Toby Keith uh, song, and, and uh, so it was a, a lot of us were really you know trying to write about that or trying to express in our own way what that day meant to us and what about what about being american was special to us and you know you i mean here you are this kid from southwest virginia now doing what you do i mean you are and i am we are the american dream you know, we are, are we're living it and i think you know americans are only limited by what their mind limits them to that's one cool thing uh, about us we're very lucky in that in that aspect you know
0: well said brother hey man i can't I can't thank you enough for giving us so much time and so many amazing stories. I I love it. Anytime, brother.
1: You got my number. Uh, I'll come sing your song for you anytime you want. Just let me know.
0: (laughs) Thank you, brother. (laughs) Be well and have an amazing day. Appreciate you.
1: You too. You too, Marty. Thanks, buddy. See ya.
0: Wow. Uh, It's kind of hard for me to wrap my hands around that conversation because it was so awesome. I could talk about country music. I can talk about its titans. I can talk about its copyrights. I can talk about its influences all day long for months at a time it's uh one of my greatest passions and for someone like Phil Vassar, whom I've so long admired, appreciated his work uh I've followed his career for so long because he's a Virginia boy who grew up very similarly to the way I did to be able to share those stories with him just um It's humbling. And, I'm look, I'm taking him. I'm going to text him as soon as I get done with this podcast. I'm going to tell him, hey, man, I'm taking you up on that glass of wine. Don't think you're getting out of it. I'm going to make him play me songs after song after song. And normally this is the time when we throw down in the Marty Party, and I bring somebody in to chat about either the individual that I just interviewed or tell some funny stories. But I have to talk to Travis about this Phil Vassar interview. So the Marty Party this week is with my own producer. What are we going to do, bud? We're going to drink one of these beers. Hand me one of them damn beers real quick. You, Marty. What's up, man? Party Party. Now, so you guys know, Travis is the greatest hero on the planet Earth, other than Urban Meyer. I was going to say, Phil L- let's,
3: let's, be, let's specify, greatest musical hero.
0: Greatest musical hero on the planet is Phil Vassar. And I had to laugh when Travis texted me and said, hey, man, we got Phil Vassar. And I started laughing because I was like, "No, you got Phil Vassar. Um,
3: yeah, this was this was I, I was like, "That was a self-serving I'm, decision." How I was pitching it is like, "Well, you're both from nowhere, Virginia, so there's my tie-in. <laughs> I got you to buy in on it. Country music. All right, this is our for our people, but really, this is just for me. I like, I really didn't care like that. You liked it. You. This was one that I'm like, we're doing anyways. This is for me.
0: It made all the sense in the world to me. Again, I could talk to country music stars all day long about their careers and the climb but phil's writing chops also add a layer of excellence to that but uh, i wonder what you learned about your greatest musical icon that you didn't know or that really stood out
3: i knew he was talented on the piano but he was just doing the interview at the piano marty
0: insane I know. He just starts playing, walking in Memphis. Out of nowhere, I thought it was his computer.
3: I thought it was his cell phone going off. I was, or yours. I was going to be like, "What are we doing here, guys? We're trying to do an interview." I was about to tell you, like, "Let's just get him to perform and forget the interview." Can we just get a live concert for us?
0: Well, I think there's a problem there. I actually had the same consideration, but I thought we don't have any rights. Like, you are you even going to be able to play that one little riff? That where is that a, I mean if it's a piano, is it a riff? I don't know. That one little stanza, are we gonna have to get rights for that?
3: What is it, uh, seek forgiveness instead of ask for permission?
0: Yeah, we're not gonna even ask. The funny part about it is is we could probably text Mark Cohn
3: and ask him, Hey bro, can we use this? He was just up here uh last uh last week in Connecticut. I should've I should have hit him up and went and hung out with him. Yeah, what are you doing?
0: Well, I will say one of the more impactful parts to me was right there at the end when Phil was discussing 9-11 and how harrowing it was that you consider a couple of weeks before America's Darkest Hour, he is celebrating this wonderful place and this wonderful career uh, in Manhattan, in Lower Manhattan, between the Twin Towers, playing a show and bringing country music to that area. And then, just a couple of years—excuse uh, me, a couple of weeks later—you uh, have this tragedy that that changed our country and the world for that matter forever. And I didn't know that there was so much in that interview. I didn't know uh, I could listen to the man talk about Johnny Cash and Conway. how hilarious was the Conway Twitty stuff. I was ru- his Conway Twitty was pretty good.
3: That was some good. He's, he's a good storyteller. Hello, darling. I mean, also, does he live in the coolest neighborhood?
0: He has a pretty good neighborhood. I mean, you know, I, I like my neighbors. I get along with my neighbors. We drink beers and hang out and play a bunch of country music and raise a bunch of hell. But uh,
3: your neighbors not Jay Cutler and David. Jay Price. Jay Cutler and
0: David Price aren't my neighbors. Um, I, I love you boys, but y'all aren't that cool.
3: And speaking of nowhere, Virginia, who was from a bigger nowhere, Virginia? Him or you? Oh
0: me, oh me, by by far. I mean, his nowhere, Virginia is. A metropolis compared to my nowhere, Virginia. He was talking about going to Roanoke. Said that was funny for me too. It's always interesting to me how people from similar areas or the same area have this kindred spirit because of the like because of the like experiences that you had growing up. Because I mean, him talking about going to Roanoke Civic Center just made me laugh. That's where we went when we saw concerts and his trip to Roanoke was probably an hour and my trip to Roanoke was probably an hour and the topography between the two, uh, it's a whole lot of nothing. And, but that was the one place we had. I mean, Roanoke was the city growing up. Uh, we used to go to Sam's club. We used to go to Roanoke to go to Sam's club. It was like 65 miles to go to the Sam's You're Club. You're talking
3: about like the grocery store, Sam's Club. Yep. 65 miles? 65 miles. Woo, you are from nowhere, Virginia. I, th- I thought I thought. my hometown was small.
0: I want you to tell the story. When we were in Indianapolis 500, you were telling me the story about being offered the job at ESPN, and that directly pertains to Phil Vassar.
3: All right, so it's about four years uh, on the anniversary of when ESPN offered, July 1st is the date that I started, so we're coming up on four years, but when I got the call from ESPN, they first, they got first of all the guys like, "Would you like to?" I'm like, "Yes, I'll accept it." Like, I don't care about the details. We'll you can pay me
0: it. a cup of coffee yeah. and a
3: and hammock so afterwards. One of the first songs that I played was "American Child." I mean, if you just listen to the song, the lyrics of that song, getting working at ESPN for a kid like me, that is the dream. So that song is perfect.
0: I love to hear him discuss that video and how it's all come full circle that he's introducing his now 19-year-old daughter who's embarking on a her own musical career to the director who directed that video when she was three years old, walking through that hayfield, this beautiful little girl, and the evolution of life. It's absolutely wonderful. And, yes, I mean, I loved what he said. It's crazy for me, it it will always be crazy for me that anyone can, that I can even have that conversation with a guy like him, that, hey, we are the American dream. We grew up in nowhere, the middle of nowhere, Virginia, and on, on a farm, I mean, literally grew up on a farm, and... To you know, for him to be talking about, hey man, I saw you at the Masters. Hey man, I saw you at the Kentucky Derby. Hey man, that all it blow. I'll never get used to it, Travis. I, think I
3: can't. It. He said he went to Nashville with three hundred bucks in his pocket. Yep, in a Pinto. I think he's got more than 300 bucks in his pocket now
0: yeah he's not hurting at all with all those number ones on his resume and his catalog those copyrights that he wrote look postmark birmingham
3: and all come say, on man he, he talked come about on the, man the transgender song it's called bobby with an eye I. I kid you not before going out to uh, in college before we go out i put that song on and my roommate would just look at me and like you've got to be kidding me like i he's like what i'm like let's just listen to the song and the lyrics like it's hilarious. And to come out, find out that this is a true story, that he had a friend that would dress up on ladies night to get free drinks.
0: You always wonder if the writer, if the if it's an autobiographical account. And as that word was coming out of my mouth, he immediately said every one of
3: them. Think about it, That song's true. When we found out Creole is uh, true, too.
0: <laughs> David Lee Murphy, Creole Williams is a real man. Hey, Marty Smith's America, the podcast. We're changing the world, y'all. Before we get to the Hillbilly Hotline, your favorite moment each week, I'm sure, I want to discuss with you guys Endochino. I want to discuss with you guys made-to-measure suits that are so much better than your generic off-the-rack mess that looks like your daddy's jacket from the family reunion in 1987. Endochino is the way that you get your custom suit delivered straight to your house you don't even have to go try it on you just order on the internet it's the world's largest made to measure menswear company it's been featured in gq forbes and fast company they make suits and shirts made to your exact measurements it's the perfect fit guys love the wide selection of high quality fabrics and the option to personalize all the details including your lapel lining, and monogram. Y'all have heard me talk about it before. I am Uncle Rico. I want my number on my shirt. I want my number in my jacket. Everything I have says MS9. All of it. If you were uh, the fullback on the uh, 2002 high school state champions, and you, you're still number 44 everywhere you go, man, Indochino will hook you up. All you have to do is visit a showroom or shop online at Indochino.com. Pick your fabric, choose your customizations, submit your measurements, and wait for your custom suit to arrive in just a few weeks. This week, this week, my listeners can get any premium Indochino suit for just $379. Go to Indochino.com and enter Marty at checkout. Indochino.com and enter Marty at checkout. That is 50% off the regular price for made-to-measure premium suits. And shipping's free. You don't even have to pay to get it to the house. $379, Indochino.com, Marty at checkout. It's not hard. Indochino.com, promo code Marty, 379 bucks. It's at your door. It's an incredible deal for a suit that'll fit you better than anything off the rack ever could. So go do it right now. Now, what you've all been waiting for, I'm sure, uh, the Hillbilly Hotline this week. Is a regular. He's another Smith from down in Texas. My boy Layton, he has to talk to us about cowboy hats. What you got, son?
1: Words, sayings were just a way of life. Roman candles. That's a redneck mortar launcher. That's what that is. <laughs> this is hillbillyisms.
2: Hey guys, it's Layton. Uh I'm on the way home now from the Tom festival the rope and I was at earlier, and I just wanted to call and say. You know, if you're gonna be at these rodeos and wear yourself a cowboy hat, you gotta wear it right for the weather. I seen a guy wearing an old felt hat in this heat down here, and that just ain't right. You know, if you 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 can't you can't do something so silly like that. You look like a fool out here in the heat, and then it's just you know why burn up your head if you if it, if it's hot outside you get yourself a straw hat if it's cold outside which is maybe one month down here in Texas you wear yourself a felt now if if you're going to be slick and look fancy get yourself a nice straw hat but just don't don't wear a felt hat in the heat of the summer that's just that's just you know I don't know what that is but it ain't right
0: I tend to agree with him Travis because you know, I can remember when Lainey and I first started dating 100,000 years ago, I, I got suckered into one of those deals where you they're like, they are like—they call you, right? And they're like, hey, man, for you can go to Disney World for three days. All you got to do is look at this timeshare or whatever, you know? And so, Lainey and I go down to Disney World and, I mean, we're like 21. We're kids. 20, 21 years old. Whatever. We're kids. And... I can remember, going. we went to Disney World in July, and I wore corduroy pants.
3: I remember when those were the cool thing.
0: Yeah, corduroy pants. And not only were they corduroy pants, they were the thick corduroy pants. And not only were they the thick corduroy pants, they were at least three sizes too big.
3: I don't know the last time I heard those, but those brought back memories as a kid having to wear those. And you're just like, oh, mom, why?
0: And you had not only, I also had the braided belt that you tucked underneath you're probably too young. Back then, we would have the braided belt and it was like if I'm a size 30, th- whatever. It was like a size 36 and you would uh, you would braid it underneath itself and let the like braid part hang on your thigh. What the hell for? I have no idea. So, I can relate to what Layton's saying. Boys, cowboys, listen. Wear a straw hat in the summer and save the felt for the formal occasions that are inside in the AC or whatever they call winter down there.
3: There's only a few states that have you know you're from Texas when your problem is about what hat, what cowboy hat you should wear.
0: What Texas or Texas. Yeah, I guess. I mean, Texas or Nashville, Texas or Tennessee. Man. Yeah, but you
3: ain't getting the heat up in Tennessee like Texas, so they don't I don't think they don't have like cowboy hat problems. This is a this is a Texas only problem.
0: I don't know, man. It's pretty hot. It's pretty pretty humid in Nashville. I mean, you put that felt on your dome when it's this humid outside. That's not smart either. <laughs> That's another Marty Smith's America podcast in the books. Thank you so much to Travis. I appreciate so much his devotion to making this thing great. Thanks to Louise, who's crazy enough to give us his platform. Thank you so much to Phil Vassar. His time is precious, and we appreciate so much him taking that time and offering such a tremendous interview and great storytelling uh, for my pleasure and your pleasure, uh, your entertainment. So all of those people. Uh, we appreciate you so much. I also want to thank Indochino again for their investment. And I want to thank Kalo. Kalo rings are the best rings. And we appreciate their investment in the show. They're a tremendous partner, have been a partner of mine forever. And listen, if you guys are on the job and you have on a Kalo ring, tweet it to me. Take a picture. Show me what you're doing. If you're on the tractor, if you're in the weight room, whatever, if you're pipe fitting, whatever you're doing, take a picture and show me. We'll tweet those out. We appreciate you guys so much. We'll be back at you next week. Have a very good week. Thank you.